We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. Welcome to the True Faith Weekly Podcast, sponsored by Phoenix Taxis and Coaches. To book online, please visit www.phoenixtaxis.net. True Faith Weekly Podcast. I'm Alex Hayes, joined this week by Ben Wade, Simon Campbell and Mike Crean. We're going to crack straight Alex. on. I was going to say, can, can we say hello? No? Well, I wanted, the, the, the listeners are here, I just want to get on with things, get this over with. Um, yeah, Newcastle were humiliated 2-1 by plucky, not even plucky, just better than us, Watford. Fully, full value for their win yesterday at St James's Park. So we're going to discuss that, what went right well, or what went wrong. And then we'll look um, at a few different things going on in the Premier League, as well as looking at a big week ahead for Stephen McLaren and Newcastle United. Si, I'll start off with you. Uh, before the game, when wherever you were, because you weren't with us. I was, in, I was in the lovely Shark Bar. You were in Shark Bar? Yeah. All right. Um, little shout out for Shark Bar there. Were you in lovely. The, the Junction? <laughs> lovely. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure. Which is better? The Junction? Well, I wouldn't say it's better. <laughs> anyway... Uh, when you heard the team, were you happy that McLaren had made sufficient changes, just the one change, Perez for Anita, and going into the match, did you think, yes, this is going to be much better than Monday night, and I'm happy? Um, a little bit, yes. I, you know, The main thing we'd said, I think, on well, this time last week was that one of Anita and Callback had to give way. Personally, I would have dropped Callback. I think his performance has been well below what he's capable of and he needs to kind of kick up the arse to kind of think, I'm not undroppable, I need to work harder. So, But one of them was dropped. I was a bit confused because the lineup appeared to show that when Yaldum was next to him and not Sissoko, Sissoko was still on the wing and I was thinking, that just doesn't look right to me, that looks a bit a bit messy, but maybe maybe it'll work. When Yaldum's probably capable of that position, but we just wish you know, It looked reasonable, but then the formation that I thought we were going to play just does not what appeared on the pitch when the game started. So, yes, I was filled with optimism, but it immediately just vanished in the first nine minutes of the game. 
I've never seen a four-one-four-one formation. I don't think I've ever seen it played no, in real that's, life. That's not what I've seen it on FIFA. And I've it, seen it on Football Manager, but I've never actually seen it. And I'm convinced it was that because yeah. NUFC.co.uk even put it down as a four-two-three-one though. They just put the yeah, same formation on. Looked- Jack Colback was vastly isolated yeah. oh, course, in front of the course. back four, like Sergio Busquets. Because we're watching Barcelona now, could play that role. Yeah. A 2011 12 Czech Tiote could probably play that role. Yeah. An out of form Jack Colback, or even an in form Jack Colback, <laughs> certainly no, couldn't no play that role. Not on his own. I mean, so once the game got underway, Si, um, obviously this is what Swansea and Arsenal had to do it because of uh, red cards. Manu, he didn't. Swansea, he didn't. But West Ham and now Saturday, that's two games in a row, he's had to drastically change his formation and approach. Within thirty minutes, yeah. Thoughts? Do you, do you think? Do you think this is a good thing? Do you think well, that's because under Carver we were strictly four two three one until the final whistle? <laughs> in in some respects, he's gone for the absolute polar opposite of what he did at West Ham. At West Ham, our problem was, Carver and Nido literally stand on their own goal line. You, you could argue, just lit- part, part of the defence, not part of the attack. And then the two wingers were literally on each touchline, and there was just no one in the middle. We had no midfield, and there's just big spaces between all those players. And they were rigidly sticking to those positions. So you had the two wingers rigidly sticking out wide. The two centre midfielders rigidly sticking in their own half. Wijnaldum and Cissé just lost at the top. They're here with this, what, what we must agree is a 4-1-4-1. I don't know how else you could describe it. Shite. Yeah. <laughs> the front five. It was like he'd given them all a free roll. Yeah. He just said, the five years, just, just go and run about and stuff. And maybe he thought that would work at home to Watford, but it was just shambolic. We didn't know where anyone was playing. They were all overlapping each other. Not There was no cohesion. I think, as you put it, there's no partnerships forming. There's no kind of link-up play. It was just five lads running around, totally headless, with Colback, the only man doing any kind of like defensive solid work in, in one well, position. Just, we started the game with one man in midfield. Yeah. Like the four, Those players weren't in attack, they weren't in midfield. No. We've literally started the Premier League game with one man in midfield, and I don't care how good your one man in midfield is, it's never, ever, ever going to work. No. Especially with the defence, I mean, as there were, and the well, callback in the front four. Like, what what was more worrying than the front four just dossing about doing night for first half? No one was getting beyond Cisse because yeah. we refused to play long balls, and Cisse wouldn't win them anyway. Especially against those two centre backs, you know. I just I don't understand what Steve McLaren told the players to go and do. I, I could guess. Yeah. Well, sorry. Normally you could guess. Normally you'd think, oh, we didn't do this. The players wouldn't have done this. I have no idea what Steve McLaren told no. those players to go and do in that formation considering they've been practicing since what let's say they had Tuesday off the, you know Wednesday, Thursday, Friday to practice I've no idea what they were doing it's weird because obviously the first couple of games were said the opposite it said it's, it's a refreshing change that McLaren looks like there's some sort of plan the team were pressing as a unit all that sort of thing just gone out the That's window yeah. like, well apart from splitting the two centre-backs Newcastle are a bit like Liverpool who I'm going to come on to later or Mike's going to come on to later okay. I don't know how Steve McLaren's Newcastle play no. Alan Pondry was Newcastle, especially last season, played counter attacking football, especially away from home. We don't do that. <laughs> it looks like we're trying to play a possession game, but we don't have it without midfield. We don't have the players anywhere near there. Well, Ben, I'll come to you then. Uh, where did Newcastle lose this game? Or why? And why? Well, a couple of players. Cissé for one. Again, up front on his own is just like you're just asking for a hard time. He can't do. He's got no first touch. I mean, we were laughing last week at some of his touches. Um, <laughs> like he barely had a touch this week, to be honest. Um, it it half time. He's just so ineffectual. It's a joke. Um, he can't play the position. Why? Like, we keep sticking with him. I do not know. He's, he's just not a. 
a, a striker compared well I'll tell you what because we don't have any other strikers we, come on we've got other options yes there. we could play Perez there but he, he will struggle on his own as well not as bad at, as least, he might, at least he might try and run behind though at least he might yeah. w- like show different. or go down the, the, the in between a centre back and a full back mm-hmm. and run that channel see but he doesn't it, even it, do it, that he just stands he just stands offside so whenever you oh, do try God. and whenever you do try and link up with him it, it's just, it just shows that we really have just been left stragglers McLaren yeah. said it as well he said we really wanted to get another one we need you were saying you were saying that the week before the transfer window finished that's our business done mm. Mm. but just I mean it's it's crying out for Mitrovic to come back he can't come back soon enough really no. which is worrying because he's never scored yeah <laughs> and he's not really... to, be, to be honest like I, yeah, I he looks a class apart though, we've, got, we've got good mm. players around him though that just aren't they're ineffectual because they're being wasted in the, the formation so Wijnaldum and De Jong are players that want to play the one twos what? they want to the one to <laughs> um, link up with players, as you say, build partnerships, things like that. They can't do that with Cissé because they pass the ball to him and they don't see the ball back. And the other team are then um, running the other way with it. It's just, you're going to lose that game. Um, so why, why do you think, let's concentrate on specifically, not on, on player by player, but... Mm-hmm. Why? Why well, were Watford so, so much better we, than Newcastle? Was it tactics? Was they, it players? Was it both? Was it attitude? It was both. Um, I mean, they were actually they their front two worked really well as a partnership. Well, let's talk about that though. Let's talk about a front two because remember, you're not allowed to play four four two in the Premier League. True, yeah, but you'll get dominated in the midfield. Well, you can against Newcastle. Hmm. I reckon Newcastle is one of the only places you can get away with four four two. I was going to say, to be fair, you will get dominated in the midfield, providing generally <laughs> the teams will have a midfield against you. Um, they just. It was so easy for them. They, they, they didn't do anything special. They were just going long ball to Dini, yeah. who was winning everything. Everything. And then had literally as much time as he wanted in the world to bring the ball down. I mean, there was times where he was chesting the ball, had time to bring it down, mm. turn, and yeah. then he still had like a five-yard... I mean, the, the second... The, was it the second goal? The second um, one's where it was played through when you Yeah, when you where he literally had five five yards from Colaccini, who just stood off him, no reason. Yeah. And Colaccini had gone up for him in the air with him as well, and then backed off for some reason. That's the thing. And he's Col- got space to play a ball in. I would, I would have liked to have seen a couple of times Colaccini or Mbemba. Just and Mbemba did all right. I was going to say, give away a foul. Exactly. Clap, just, clap at the back of his exactly. head, smash him in the back yeah. with just an elbow. Let him know you're there. Don't just for the, the respect and space that yeah. he gave him was an absolute disgrace. I, but back to two up front. It's the first time we've seen it in a while, realistically. I know Southampton played two or three up front when we played them. Do you, do you think that it was a case of Newcastle would lit court cold? Because they haven't, I don't know if they've done it in other games, Watford, but it just seemed like we didn't expect it. I don't know. I mean, to be honest, when we, when we have come at that in the past, generally, your defence in other teams, when when they do it, it's a job for the, the, the holding mid to come yeah. over and help out. Callback, it just Five foot it can't do that. Yeah. It can't do it. It's, it's a a joke. So they played perfectly into the game plan that we let them get away with, um, and it was just it was a it was an option. It was not let for them every time, and it meant they got up the pitch. It meant their attacking uh, wingers who were had a lot of joy all week, all uh, all day against Yamat and Haidara. It meant they were getting into the positions where they wanted to instead of being where our lads were having to work back and defend your own third, um, and that's where I think where Mitrovic comes in. Will at least if I mean hopefully we will give him a bit more support, but it gets you up the pitch and you're not you're not you get so you think players you think will be a bit better when Mitrovic is back. You're not panicking yet. I'm not panicking yet. Defensively, that was completely like opposite to what we had at the first couple of games. We we said we looked 
we were quietly confident because we looked solid in defence the first few games. Um, Colaccini was just massively... Um, would, you, would you say, I think this is a show by Gareth Harrison and the True Faith match report today, Stephen Taylor should start the next game ahead of Colaccini? I think he, yeah, I would give him that kick up the backside and make him earn his place back. I mean, he really think, won't, but yeah. <laughs> I think on current form this season, I think Colachi, I don't think Stephen Taylor will let that happen yesterday. No. Yeah. I, th- I, I think, think t- as we said, said there, Taylor would have gone in, he would have been up for a fight with Dini. Um, Colachini and Member are <laughs> that type of there's player. Two, there's two things with Colachini, yes, he's, he's perfor- I mean, apart from Man U, he's been poor this season, really poor. He looks a shadow, and we said, yeah, he, he missed pre season and stuff, but. He's just—he's not the player he once was, and it's starting to become clear. And we really, even if he Colchini, pulls himself, yeah, even if he pulls himself together this season, we really need to be thinking about life beyond him. Yeah. Um, the the second part of Colchini is he's, he's a captain, <laughs> and if anyone should have been giving the lads a rattle, especially when we went two down, <laughs> he looked at him. He's just, you know, he was giving them a shake, just saying, "How are this? Is, this is a go. fucking disgrace." The giant babies. All he over was the just—he was just trudging away from the goal with his head down like that's not what your captain should be doing when when you've just conceded at home at uh, Watford I don't know Si I don't buy it all I don't buy this I think the captain is just I, don't, I think I think that should be coming from the team as a whole like I, I like I think Colachini is a bit hard done by. I think by the way he was terrible yesterday <laughs> so I'm not sticking up for his performance but um, and I would start Stephen Taylor next week ahead of him if it was up to me but He's a good captain in the sense he constantly shows for the ball in, in tight situations. When players, I don't think I think do, do being a captain though is it? Really? No, no, this is. Let's let make a point. Right. I was going to say he doesn't hide on the pitch in terms of yeah. You know, I'm not saying he was good yesterday, but his defensive performance or anything to do with being a captain. I don't really see in the modern era. You know, if, if you look at the you know when Fabregas is Chelsea captain, which he is occasionally when when Terry's out or when. Um, Ivanovic, for example, on, on Sunday, I didn't really see him Saturday even. I didn't see him geeing up the players or anything like that. Sunderland have, bad example, numerous captains. I just don't see this. The captain should be on the pitch bollocking people when things are down. I just think it's irrelevant to the overall performance of the team. I think sort sort the team out and then, then the captain can maybe do what maybe is more important off the pitch than, than on the pitch. Yeah. I, just, I don't know. I think my point is just how we appear. I mean, yeah, just at that very point whether he bollocks the players or not isn't going to make a difference we've just gone 2-0 yeah. down and it was a disgrace um, but I can just I can't see that changing in the change room yeah at half time that's when he should be like, you know, going around the lads and, and and trying to do something about it to be fair he's got that bit. extra level of responsibility I would say as a senior player within the team yeah. I would argue he should be doing more but I'm not just not asked about the captaincy yeah. really I mean there was I, I think I mean it didn't make a massive difference but there was a little bit of a reaction second half um, not a massive amount, but we're much improved. Well, we took CC off. We changed the formation. Yeah. <laughs> you know what I'm pissed off with? I'm fucking sick of David Yamat not pulling his weight as an attacking threat. <laughs> When's he going to wake up and actually do something going God, forward? Man? I mean, one bloody goal. It's Daryl Yamat's tech at the moment. It's yeah, like, it Daryl, first name on the team sheet, if you just take the whole of the right side, most <laughs> of the inside too, and get, but, if you have all our shots, you do all our crosses, get, get up on corners. Support, <laughs> get up and support. But whatever you do, don't let them really get in at the right yeah. position. <laughs> Bastard. But uh, aye, it was just, it's becoming more and more apparent every time that with he's the only one that's willing to make a forward run or try and beat a man. I, yeah. I said it last week and you sort of disagreed with us a bit. There's just the players we've got in who are meant to be the attacking players, Tovan, Mignaldum, um Sissoko even to an extent, 
They when do you ever see them like run at a man and take them on? Other than Sissoko does it quite a lot. Sissoko does it down the and wing. Sissoko does it down. Sissoko does it down the wing and then doesn't hasn't got a, a cross on him. I'm looking for penetration through the middle though. Like we're kind of. I mean, at, at the end of the day, it's all fine and well going down the wing and working across him, but who are you aiming for? Hello, this is Alex here. Unfortunately, the next 15 minutes of the show where we talked about a number of things, including the week ahead, Chef Wed, then Chelsea, uh, crashed or deleted itself. That's what happens when you use uh, a shit laptop you took from work, which is about 10 years old, to record your podcast on. So I'm going to very quickly paraphrase uh, arguments where we should go back to the 4-2-3-1 formation. Uh, because the players at least have a semblance of looking like they know what they're doing, even if it is ridiculously negative. Don't play callback and Anita as the two in the four-two-three-one. Play Sissoko and Wijnaldum. You know they've both got to have a position somewhere, and it doesn't seem to be where they've played at the moment. Uh, we also discussed possibly reintroducing Obertan to the team since uh, love him or hate him, he has got more assists than practically the whole team put together this season and his pace alongside Aaron's if he was to play you know off a striker potentially Mitrovic uh, or Cissé on Wednesday Mitrovic on Saturday evening would give us one hell of a you know one hell of an attacking outlook might not be so good defensively but we're shit anyway I can't remember whether we discussed this earlier in the show because I'm doing this right after the show so not sure what was spoken about when Uh, Steven Taylor should possibly play ahead of Colaccini not that'll happen uh, we also discussed the fact that you know lose to Chef Wed, the season could potentially be over. We said that uh, you know Chelsea and Man City aren't the games to be re- reintroducing a four four two or a new formation. The players basically didn't have a clue what they were doing at the weekend anyway. So another new formation surely not going to help. Uh, we'll give Tim Krull a bit of credit. Uh, he's not been brilliant, but he's not been terrible. You know, a couple of vital saves against Southampton meant that you know would have lost that game and things would have been worse. He was excellent at Old Trafford. It wasn't his fault for either of the goals and also kicked off about um the fullbacks basically getting no support. Jan Matt uh, in the second half linked up really well with Sissoko as he always does. And Haidara basically has no one in front of him to play with. He's not the best left back but A he shouldn't be first choice. He's a bargain buy from France. He's twenty two or twenty three. He doesn't look like a Premier League first choice. He might turn into a decent player, but when he receives that ball he should either go back to Krull or put it out of play. But there should be a left winger or a central midfielder moving towards him. Caballo Gutierrez would have been moving, giving him an option. Colbach's trotting near him, doing out and the rest of the players aren't interested, so what was going on there? Finally I stuck up for Musa Sissoko a little bit. I know he's a dick, I know he could be a lot better, but he's one of our best players. If he wasn't in our team, would be absolutely hopeless. Essentially, he set up a goal, he set up the two of the best chances of the game, his general play is very good. He goes missing, it's far from ideal, but you know, I would be really, really worried if he wasn't in the team. If he was out injured or suspended, I think he's an excellent player. It's quite funny how on Saturday, I think he, he went on a run in the first half, beat about three players, put a decent ball in the box. Obviously, no one probably didn't have anyone in the box, and no one even clapped, no one even attempted to clap. Whereas Mbemba heads the ball back to Tim Cole, everyone's like on their feet clapping. Uh, Daryl Yamat, it's basically Daryl Yamat tech, which is really bad. It used to be the case, we used to uh, rely on Shearer and other players like that. Now we're relying on Daryl Yamat for attacking threat. He's a bit of a dick at times, but bloody how what a good player he is too. Would be absolutely fucked without him. And yeah, I think he's had more than fifty percent of Newcastle shots on target this season. McLaren needs to pull his finger out. His pat is starting to stink. Uh, he's starting to say how big a harder job it is. That's you know stark contrast to what he was saying when he first arrived. I am beginning to lose faith. It's early days. We might improve. It just doesn't look like 
Wakan uh, basically charming his fuck to her again. Sorry about that. Uh, obviously, it's just been me talking for a couple of minutes. We'll make sure it doesn't happen again. Enjoy the rest of the show. So, we're already signed. So, before we move on to some general Premier League talking points, it's the much-loved, and actually, I was going to say country, you know, loved across the nation, loved across the world, as we've had tweets in this week, thanks very much, for the many of you across the world who've been in touch to say how <laughs> how much you love Dogger's game and how it brings a, a, a tear to your eye, face. a smile to your face and a tear to your eye. Okay, lads, so new rule this week, you can only so have... So people are crying because of Dogger's game, <laughs> is what you're saying. You can only have one guess... One guess per clue. Okay, so once each. you've guessed, yeah, each. Once right. you've guessed on a clue, you can't just keep reading out names and guessing. Okay. okay? Yeah. So here's some clues about a former Newcastle United player. Who am I? I was born on the second of December, nineteen sixty-eight. I am just five foot eight inches tall. Kevin Gallagher. Incorrect. Norberto Solano. Incorrect. But good guesses. Probably about the right age. Despite my lack of height. I made 42 appearances for England. David Buddy. Well done, Zai. David Buddy's the right answer. Uh, not very good for me this week. Uh, that the, was the atrocious, terrible uh, doggers game. The other the other clues were I won two Premier League titles. I signed for Newcastle in February 1996. And because I was perceived to be too small and too lightweight to play centre midfield... Billy Bramner made me come to his office every morning to drink a glass of sherry with a raw egg. <laughs> Is that right? Yeah. Well, according to yeah. Wikipedia. But uh, unlucky that David Buddy. That and just to kick people. Yeah. Uh, probably right. the kind of shit uh, Billy, Bramner, Billy Bramner would think up. The Premier League, Mike. What would you like to talk about first? Um, well, I thought we'd start with Berahino. Um First off, it just got me thinking, obviously... Um, got the winner um, away at Villa in a big derby match this weekend just a couple of weeks after saying they'd never play again for the club under, <laughs> uh, under the current chairman um, so it just got me thinking really as football fans whether we need to be more pragmatic realistic rather than committing ourselves to having these heroes and, and, and setting their stall by the club and thinking they're going to they're gonna be loyal and, and stick to the club through thick and thin should we just be accepting that these players, we've seen it with the likes of Tevez going on strike, refusing to come on, a few months later he's back scoring goals for Man City, Suarez and Liverpool as well, um, now Berahino saying he refused to play and coming back back in the team and he's scoring goals, does it really matter? Um, I've come to, the, come to the conclusion now that I, I'm not going to commit myself to, 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 to personally following a single player because it, 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 it's just not worth it now. I think enjoy the game on the pitch enjoy the players on the pitch but I think ultimately I think as fans it's a shame I think we need to be pragmatic and, and just accept that these players want to move on and, and, and further their career and, and that might not necessarily be at our club and I, I think Berahino is that's all panned out especially with this week's score and a winner at Villa um, is it, a good example of that that, that changing um, well, I don't know you, you lads might completely disagree with me but I think it's time for the fans to Stop clinging on to this uh, beating players with this Lord mistake and ju- just accept it. Obviously, to a certain point, um, but, but, but just but just understanding that players are going to move on and just enjoy the game on the pitch, and, and players will be replaced. Um, but uh, I think it's gone to the times when we can just rely on players to stick with us for five or six years and, and love the club as, as, as much as we do. But uh, I don't know whether you're on, a, on the same wavelength as me or, or, or you're still clinging on. Um, to a, to a certain 
Sorry? Um, I, I, I sort of agree, Mike. I don't think gone are the days. I think there are still a few players out there who you could call club heroes and who do stick it out. And Even if it's five or six years, that's a, that's a long time of a football career. Um, I think the way I can't relate to what you're saying at the moment is there's nobody at Newcastle and there hasn't been for several years now that I can get excited about yeah. as like a, a club hero. We've just had a sort of... Kabai, I suppose. Kabai was maybe, maybe the only one, but he, he was such a dick. Demabar was class. Demabar was class. that short time. Exactly. Really you, like, don't, you don't get you that attached. You enjoy them and then they were gone. Yeah. It's not like Lauren Robert. I was so attached to him and I know he was part of like growing up, but we had him for like four or five class years. He had a nice story about Lauren Robert today when Bobby Robson went to the training ground to tell them that Freddie Shepard had just uh, sacked him. Lauren Robert cried. Really? Yeah. Oh man. Great lad. But, See that just makes them even more of a hero. Like these, these were these were players I grew up with as heroes. Even obviously, like, like the likes of Shearer, Solano, all of those kind of players, and they stuck to the club. And some of them came back a second time. And then you've got the other, the other side of that. You got people like Mike Owen who came along and never really got 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 attached to the fans. It's I know what you're saying, Mike. It's it's getting smaller and smaller that kind of pool of players who would would even do that because it is all about just moving on in their career and. I know it's it's a it's a lot more likely to happen at Ipswich than it is at Newcastle, but it's not that much more likely. But we, we're starting to have to accept that as well. Is that the the best players are always going to move on from us? I think there's a couple of things here. There's there's a doing it and b the way you're doing it. So yeah. I really have a problem with a player wanting to further his career. Uh, you know, fair play, Jack Colback, <laughs> even Sunderland uh, for Newcastle, for example. Yeah. Um, there's a way to do it, so I think possibly Berahini, I don't think too many West Brom fans will have minded that he wanted to go to Spurs. It's London, he'll have been on a lot of money. Any player in a transfer deal gets a couple of million quid as well. It's very hard yeah. to turn down. Yeah, yeah. so it, it's fair enough, but I think it's taking to Twitter in the heat of the moment, basically saying he's never going to play for Jeremy Pierce again. There was no need for it. On Berahini himself, it's a bit hard because he is actually, he's got this reputation of being a dick. And I think it was uh, the Scottish lad who plays for West Brom, whose name escapes me. Dorrance? No, uh, he doesn't play for them anymore. <laughs> Morrison. Yeah, Morrison. Morrison. Uh, smashed, smacked him in the change room last year, the year before, because he was such a dick. But he, <laughs> so it could have been Dorrance. Uh, no, it was Morrison. <laughs> um, and I think it's, uh, you know, he, he's, a, he's a refugee who came here when he was eight. He lost his dad in the war, and he does a lot of charitable work back in his home nation. He's put, you know... I'm not going to second guess him here, but the increased pay rise and the few million quid from the transfer probably would have aided that quite a lot. You might have had plans for money. I don't know. I'm speculating. And I, to address your original point, Mike, I think, you know, gone of the days where everything's done behind closed doors. Players have such access to the, to, to the fan base now through Twitter, Instagram, anything else that they know they can turn buttons, stuff like that. I think the big one, which, which furthers your point, is the Luis Suarez one. Where just say Liverpool had taken a hard line on Suarez, and when he went on strike, we're like, right, well, we'll sell you anyway. A, they'd have received less than half the money they got from, and B, they'd have got forty goals less than one of the best seasons in their history. So, realistically, yeah. I think, yeah, like you say, uh, those days are gone, Ben. I think hard. No, I think you've said it all. It's it's just the money rules all now, doesn't it? It's every player's looking. I don't think they're even looking uh, for their careers. It's just they're looking for a better payday. You look at some of the moves some of the younger sort of stars over the years have made to go and sit on benches at the top clubs. Um, you can't tell me that they all expected to to start and and then it's the on the, top the, great, of that, the big one there's Laurent Remy. Well, yes, yeah. gone to Chelsea. Exactly. Do you, know, do you know who's been at Chelsea? 
I think, 15 months now, and he's made 21 appearances. Yeah. 21 <gasps> appearances. Staying on, I think Chelsea one of the big clubs a lot of people do. Look at Victor Moses. He's just signed another four or five-year deal or something mm. with them. He's, he's been there three or four years, hasn't like yeah. got any sort of chance of a look in of a team. He's happy to stay there, though, take a wage, and then go out and play for another team every like, year. Basically, Victor... That, only try hard against the title rivals. Exactly, <laughs> like against Man- that's a disgrace. Man like how how can that bit that shouldn't be allowed? You yeah. shouldn't be allowed to, to sign a new contract with them and then carry on being farmed out every season yeah. to other teams. I, I just don't agree with that. But um, yeah, I think it's just the way way things are going. Players are, and you, I, I mean, it's one of those things. They've, they've only got short careers. A lot of them. Um, you, you have to sort of take take as much money as you can to set yourself up the rest of your life because. Realistically, what what have they got to do after it? There's only a handful of punditry jobs going and bloody uh, red napping, like so that have uh, taken all them up. So, Mike, it's, it's unfortunate. Mike, fair enough, Ben. Thanks, Mike. Brendan Rogers, a man under a bit of pressure. Yeah, I, I I've been thinking about this, and I don't quite know whether Brendan Rogers is a good manager or not. <laughs> um, just looking back over the past few seasons, it's a, obviously there was that, that second place finish and a couple of points of winning the title um, a couple of years ago. But so either side of that, a seventh place and a sixth place, his style seems to change from coming in from Swansea as that, you know, possession, 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 slow build up. Um, he was expected to improve players rather than bring in loads in and coach players. But he seems to have gone completely against that, spent more than any Liverpool manager in history over 300 million and he's got to start winning certainly at home I think we, we, we talked about this before in the pod this season about the, the number of away wins for teams and how teams are better up away from home well I think for Liverpool more than any other team in the league the home form is going to be crucial we look back to the end of last season Rodgers was under a lot of pressure of that awful last couple of months of the season culminating in that Stoke 6-1 there was a long time before um, the Fenway Sports Group came out and, and gave him that, you know, gave, gave him was going to stay. Um, and I think really at home he's got to show um, that, that he actually has a, a concept of how to break teams down. He's very easily for teams now just to get Liverpool set up fairly simply defensively. And, uh, and Liverpool don't seem to have the ideas to break them down. Um, now I know they've obviously got a few injuries, but it seems to me that Rodgers doesn't have a clear plan how to play at home and I think if he doesn't show in the next couple of games they've got Villa coming up next obviously Drew and Norwich earlier on today um, but if they don't show some, some get up and go in the, in the next couple of home games he, he could really be in danger of losing his job especially uh, with Klopp still out of the job and, uh, and, and, and you'd imagine it'd be a, a good fit for Liverpool so um, I think yeah uh, I'm still trying to work him out myself and I think maybe Rogers is trying to work out what sort of manager it is because he he seems to flip whether it be in tactically or in uh, the, the, the way he coaches players. Um, I, I don't think he's quite comfortable himself <laughs> knowing what sort of manager he is um, and, and, and I think that's, uh, that's coming to the forefront of the way Liverpool are playing. I disagree. I think he knows he's a dream maker. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Mike, I've, yeah, I agree with you on a couple of points and I was speaking, actually I was raising a couple of these exact points so great, great minds think alike. Earlier on, with uh, <laughs> we'll not accuse you of having read all his tweets and uh, <laughs> stealing his ideas. Uh, with Big Red Pete McDonald, we were talking through uh, yeah the Rogers effect, and I, I just said I have no idea. Much like Steve McLaren's Newcastle, I have no idea how Liverpool play. I don't know. I don't think you can argue that they play a possession-based game anymore against Man United and Arsenal. No. That they didn't 
dominate or monopolise possession like they did in Rodgers' first year. They, they don't play a counter-attacking game. They played a decent counter-attacking game against Arsenal, but that seems to have been, you know, anyone can play any kind of game against Arsenal on the day. Um, I just, I have no idea what he's trying to do. And, you know, obviously he deserves a lot of credit and success for that, that year they came close. But you give me um, Luis Suarez, Sturridge on fire, Sterling um, with Henderson and Gerrard behind, Coutinho on fire. You give me, you give any manager of those players, you, you're going to do quite well. I mean, and like you say, that, that got, they got, they tore it up that season because they played a blistering counter-attack game. They basically hammered teams for the first 20 minutes and if that didn't work, they'd just play the counter-attack the rest of the game. And it, it worked really, really well. I think, I don't, I don't think Rodgers has a future at Liverpool. I, you know, what constitutes success at Liverpool this season? Is it winning the FA Cup? Is it a cup run? Is it getting to the Europa League semi-finals? No, it's getting to the Champions League. Is he going to do it? Absolutely not. No, I think that's it. And, and just, yeah, building on that, if you think back to when he was appointed uh, at Swansea, he said it was just possession, slow build-up stuff. And then he stumbled across that team um, in, in that second season, as you say, with all that pace. And they suddenly started playing this high-pressing game by virtue of the players that they had. It, and, it, and it seems like, it might not be the case, but it does seem from the outside looking in that it was more the players really dictating that necessarily than necessarily Rodgers' style. Um and I think the fact that they fell away so badly last season and, and, and they've had a turgid start to this season would, uh, would, would bring that in. But he, he, he's not really, you know, again, he was brought in as a coach, uh, as a top coach who would improve players. Liverpool weren't necessarily going to spend fortunes. Um, and, and they have. <laughs> they've spent absolute, absolute fortunes, over 300 million he spent. And he, he doesn't seem to, to have. To, to have brought those players in and actually actively improved many of them. Obviously, Sterling is a good case in point. He did, but there, there aren't many of those players. If you look back, and a lot of 10, 15 million in there as well, aside from the big sides um, that he's actually brought in and, and improved as players, um, which um, you know was his remit. If you look back when he came as Liverpool manager to, to be that coach to, to work with work with the resources that they had. I think he spent two hundred million, not three, not three. I might be wrong on that, but I read this week which he spent two hundred million, which is still a, a, a ludicrous amount of in money. His time at, in his time at Liverpool, he spent three hundred, just over three hundred million. Sure. That might be net. Yeah, even that—that's an insane amount of yeah. money. If that's true, he should be winning the league for that. Uh, he's only been there. Well, this is his fourth season, isn't it? Mind you, you say he should be winning the league, but all the teams above them would have spent more. Not <laughs> Arsenal. Um, Large side, Ben. Brendan Rogers. Should he stay or should he go? Should we move on? Yeah, yeah. I, I think he's uh, he's he's got to go. It's just you look at any of the teams that have been sort of won titles over the last few years. They're all built on a built on a really solid defence, and he's put together one of the most poorest defences I've seen <laughs> in a long time. Lovren, as you say, is meant to be a good coach. Lovren's regressed massively under him. Um, I mean, he looks he looks like a solid player at Southampton. And when they signed him, I thought it's a lot lot of money, twenty five million for that type of player. But it, it could be just what they need is sort of a tough, basically another Skirtle who's a bit better than Skirtle. But he's just been an absolute liability since they've got him. Sacco, they spent a fortune on as well. Just doesn't he obviously doesn't rate him. He doesn't start him regularly. Um, and it's like Skirtle, who a couple of years ago was sort of seen as the weak link there and someone that they really need to upgrade on has come out looking like the best centre-back in the team. Um, 
they've got two re- like <laughs> really young wing backs um, in Gomez who they've signed from Charlton he's gone straight into their team now there's not many other teams that are fighting for Champions League and meant to be fighting for titles or whatever would sign a League One player and, and hoy him straight yeah, into the Championship but yeah or Championship yeah um, and I think I mean obviously Klein I, I like him he's a good player but there's just a running sort of there seem to be buying youth players and mediocre players yeah, that's what they're buying Ben mediocre but, players but even the, the players that they're buying they're, they're trying to buy people with potential but they're paying like way over the odds for those types of players um, and it's just I mean 20 million for Henderson when they bought him a couple of years ago I know that was Kane Daglish but just I think that's proved to be a good signing it I has think, been yeah. it has but do you know what I mean 20 million at the time yeah. I'm sure they could have got him for a lot cheaper than that you went, when you're spending that sort of money, you need players that are going to be the, the proven article. And I think he's taken a few years to, to develop into a good player. But I don't know, it's just... <laughs> Rogers, man. <laughs> I know you weren't there. <laughs> no, 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 but he's, he's been managing him for, for a number of years now, hasn't he? Um, and he's improved. He has, but they've, they've not got, gone any further, have they? Look at them. Well, they we'll came second, but yeah, since he wow. came up, I mean, what a day. Dalglish finished eighth. Mm-hmm. And, you know, he's got a seventh and a sixth for 300 million, as Mike says. So, that you know... Barring you know, any, Luis Suarez is one of the best players in the world. Sturridge, when he's fit, is one of the best players in the country, and Sterling will be one of the best players in the world. So yeah, work to do. Uh, finally, um, before me and you say sorry to West Ham, Mike, um, Diego Costa. I know you want to talk about him. Yeah, I think it would be nice to talk about the football, wouldn't it? But I think it's uh, it's impossible to, to to leave out his antics this weekend. Really, um, it was interesting. I was just reading it. And the Guardian wrote an interesting piece about it today. Technically, um, Costa wasn't recorded as committing a single foul in that match. Yeah, he um, didn't give away a foul. <laughs> so, um, so fair play to him, and, uh, and Mike did. Mm-hmm. But um, just, just thinking, aside from the fact that Costa should have clearly been sent off, Arsenal, uh, Gabriel in particular, just fell right into the trap. I think you know what Costa's going to. And like it or not, it's part of. I think it's part of the challenge of the game. Certainly at the top level, there's a technical challenge and being good enough technically to be the player. But as well, which Costa is so good at. To be perfectly honest, I like him. If 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 I Costa playing up for, for or a player of that ilk, you want a striker that the opposition hate. You don't want your your opposition to be to to, to be receptive to your striker because that means he's not going to harm them all. You want to have a big ugly bastard up the top who's going to make enemies and, and only, only <laughs> does he, need, does he that, specifically that, need to be ugly he needs to lead the line and I think I think Gabriel just got sucked right into it it, it cost his team I think you need to be able to, to have the mental strength to get past that and, and play the game now I know it's hard you know, Dave, that is the mental challenge on top of the technical challenge that is a massive part of the game um, and I think that's pretty poor from from Arsenal just right into that. It just played completely in the cost of that. I disagree. I think uh, well, first of all, I like to say massive uh, grin on my face that weekend. Arsenal, ha 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 ha. It's not nice, is it, when the referee's a dick and ruins the match for you, pricks? Um, you know, you could say Arsenal went out to kick Chelsea, did couldn't you? You know, two two uh, two red cards. Uh-huh. Nice you know, it's disgraceful. I mean, Arsenal, Chelsea need protecting. It's good to see a referee finally protecting the Chelsea players, isn't it? Dicks. But um, on Costa, uh, he's he's a liability. He's 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 living on a knife edge. He could have easily been sent off 
for what he did to Koscielny. Yeah, it should and have been. Then, and, and, and then it would have been Chelsea down at 10. I mean, Koscielny's done very well not react. Can you imagine if it was Mitrovic on Koscielny the other week? Getting up and barging at the floor with his chest after pushing him in the face yeah. with his hands. He'd be bloody sent, sent, sent abroad or something. He'd be, 10, yeah. 10, 10 He'd be off to Exactly. It's just an absolute farce. Um, uh, you know, Costa, like you say, fair, he, he's going to get away with it. But he's going to cost Chelsea in some very big games. Might yeah. be a Champions League game. Might be a final I guarantee you, my Diego Costa, who has the ability not to need to do this, and yes, the will to win is really good from him. And you know, I don't think it was a red card for Gabriel. I think he's what flicked a foot out. My Dean. Well, it was what it was tantamount to what Beckham did against him. It's just no, though, is it? It's just like it is no, but Mike Dean's had an absolute hole there. First of all. I, th- I think it is, it is. He's just literally lifted his leg up. It's pathetic, but and you can't do it. Like it's a but yeah, yeah, yeah. No, no, but what, what, what led to it though? No, he no, obviously, he, he just, he just. Had. No, he had. He had just. He just given them both a yellow card. Oh right. So and then away, And then Diego Costa right, yeah. was walking away in Gabriel's ear. The, the whole for, for a good like thirty seconds, just shouting shit in his ear. And Mike Dean's walking along next to him and not doing something. He's just saying, "Listen, stop it, stop it now." He shouldn't have let that that incident occur. He had thirty seconds to do something about it, and just Mike Dean just stood there. Wait for it to happen. And to then, be fair, though, it's not Mike Dean's like job to tell Paulista and Diego Costa to stop like having handbags and all this. It is. Like, it is his job. Oh, it's literally, the literally his job. It's you, you can't be like they, they're grown. You're men, watching like, too much like, NFL with like 15 refs on the channel. Exactly. <laughs> the, the grown men, though, man. I'm not. Look, I'll say this. If Mike Dean hadn't sent him off, it wouldn't have even. No one would have even known it had happened. No one would have talked about it. And as a bloke who has a responsibility refereeing an event which is watched around the world, just like Andre Shitty Mariner did the other week, he didn't have to do it. And, and no one would have complained. Would have gone on with it. Hope Cockland's out for the season, the little prick. But like, he, he didn't have to ruin that match like he did. And, he, and, and he's gone and do it. And I think it, it says a lot about a referee, the likes of your Mariners and your Mike Rileys, who. Mike Riley, Mike Riley, Mike Riley's trying to fix all of this, and you're just castigating him like, like he's one of the others. It's the bloody mics, but and, and uh, you get the managers who enjoy the the spotlight, not like not like our lads from up here, Clattenburg and uh, what's his name, managers, Oliver, Mike Oliver, Oliver, referees. Oliver, yeah, referees. <laughs> you know, our lot don't seek the limelight. Compared to these ones from wherever they're from, yeah. Oliver was the fourth official actually. Did, what did, did, you, do did you see him cracking up? Arsene Wenger's a prick as well. You know when Mourinho was like, "Oh, here you go." Arsene Wenger like looked at the ground, touched his hand for three seconds, just shake his hand, say good luck for the game, and get on with it. Even if even if Mourinho undoubtedly has been a massive dick for, for years to him, but just get on. <laughs> but you can't escape the fact another big game for Arsenal, another game against a, a, a potential rival, and they got beat yet again. Keeps happening. And it probably will continue to happen under Wenger. It's just, it's just the play. I mean, the players in that position are pathetic. Yeah. Like my point was obviously. Fair play, play Koscielny. I think Koscielny did all right. Yeah. yeah, but that's what I mean. Is it like Koscielny's like knows what's at stake? Gabriel yeah. was just an idiot. Why are you still oh, involved? He, he, engaged? He is with, silly, is silly. But what I'm saying it's, is, it's like, not Mike Dean's like job to tell him not to be a dick. Yeah. yeah like but just he, don't but be a dick yourself. It. But he I mean, is, what is he doing kicking out though he knows he's been booked yeah he's, like, he's, he's stupid just kicked, he's an idiot I've got no sympathy for them whatsoever neither have I but does, get, it doesn't mean that Mike Mike Dean hasn't had an absolute horror as well oh yeah I mean it's, he's, he's I made mean, an yeah, absolute hash of the, the whole the whole, the whole thing before that though I think where the, there was about 10 players involved in like a little pushing like match yeah. was pathetic how he let that escalate to that was a can, really we just, can we just say 
you know, Colbert and Anita's bad in the four two three one, but playing Cazorla in that two of a four two three one, it totally negates him as an attacking <laughs> force, and he's absolutely useless and tends to give away like bad fouls yeah. because he's not very good at tackling. Going back to the point that I think Costa, as as you say, he's just he, he is a liability, but it's I guess it's sort of an insight into what we have potentially got a Mitrovic. Although I don't think Mitrovic is anywhere near as bad as him. I don't him. think he's a dick. Yeah, Mitrovic isn't anywhere near as bad as him, but it's that sort of volatile person who, like, it's it's an attribute to the game. That's what makes him, I think, so good. I mean, you look at like someone like Rooney, um, back back in the early years, people said that was one of his real strengths was his, his desire to win, and I think it's it's good to have that in place, but it's just keeping it sort of on in in check, I guess. Um, but yeah, with Costa, I mean, he's, he, as you say, he's a brilliant player, but it's, it's just pathetic. Why? He's, he is going to cost him at some point. Pushing like Kojiani in the face as he did. Um, like what are you doing? It's just mental. If you get caught, you're sent off straight away. Well, I, I, I think we can sum it all up really. Then cost the dick, Mike Dean's the dick, and Arsenal flat it in a big game again. <laughs> <laughs> Nicely summed up, uh, Mike. Me and you have both <laughs> both gone on record in print <laughs> this year saying that West Ham's appointment of Slavon Bilic was a farce and both feeling pretty pleased with ourselves when they lost consecutive home games to Leicester and uh, Bournemouth. What, what, what are you saying now? Second in the league? Well, what, what I will say is from... If you look at his record in Turkey, um, he tailed away massively. He had a great start of the season then tailed away massively and absolutely gnawed everything up in the second half of the season. But it's still hope, Dodgy. Don't, huh. don't give up yet. But um, yeah, uh, fair, fair play to them. I mean, they've gone away to Man City, Liverpool, Arsenal, and, uh, and got nine points out of that game, uh, out of those three games, which is uh, is pretty incredible. Um, so yeah, no, you, you, you've got to give them credit, haven't you? Um, they, they clearly set themselves up away from home. They've got a they've got a threat with Payet when he turns up away and uh, and and, and up top and. Uh, and it's working for them. Um, I, I still think they, they could have trouble with, with Billich's record of telling off um, later on in the season. But, yeah, we, we'll see. But, um, yeah, I must say I'm, I'm quite surprised. But uh, I, I wouldn't give up on our prediction just yet. I think what the the ideal thing would be, try and get big fat Sam uh, back. <laughs> on a half game bit. Just you do the home games. <laughs> we'll let Billich take the lads away on their little <laughs> trips. And we'll leave it at that. I like Shearer's tweets Saturday night. Uh, obviously, they have a bit of banter because they do much of the day together. And uh, Shearer was like, wins at these three clubs. Uh, Can't believe they didn't get rid of Sam quicker. <laughs> uh-huh. uh, this has been True Faith Weekly Podcast. Thanks so much for listening. The usual shout-outs now. We'll have our big three interviews available to listen to. We've got Martin Hardy on his book, Touching Distance. We'll have George Colton out on Newcastle transfer window with McMartin all of these are with McMartin myself uh, you should listen to George um, he's basically spot on about the club's business in the transfer window and even more so now what's happened happened and finally uh, the most recent one we had Luke Edwards from the Telegraph talk to us about his ban from Newcastle United really interesting stuff and also about Newcastle's continued uh, relationship with its media partners and the, you know, the way football's going regarding preferred media partners and what it means for fans Please listen in. Follow us on SoundCloud at TF Weekly Pod. Subscribe to us on iTunes and follow us on Twitter at TF Weekly Pod. If you ever want us to talk to about anything on the show or you know put your point across, you're more than welcome. Um, I've been Alex Hurst, Ben, Wade, Cy Campbell, Mike Green. Thanks very much. <laughs> You've been all them people. <laughs> <laughs> I can't believe Louis Van Hal's got away with it this week. Well, he might have snaked a win. They might have bought. They've been on Football Manager and like 
pulled this player out of absolutely nowhere. They didn't scout him. <laughs> they ended up playing 50 more, fifty-four million pounds from people are going on like three goals in, in three games is is like a class return for him. He's doing all right. He's a good player. I've got him in my fantasy team. Um, they're not going to win the league. They're still going to finish fifth. Good night, everyone. See ya. <laughs> Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE system technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system.